Beloved, this is our God's word. Let us give our attention to the reading of it. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them, and when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So ends the reading of our God's word. Let us ask his blessing on our time in it this morning. Most gracious Lord, our hearts are indeed prone to wander. Our minds are slow to understand. We do not by nature live according to your word. And so we ask that you would be among us, that you would speak to our hearts, you would illumine our minds, you would transform our lives by your most holy truth, we pray. Amen. Uh, You may be seated. Uh, People talk these days about the social media you versus the real you. I'd say the Facebook you, but the kids would say, what's Facebook? It's how fast things change these days. In other words, everyone knows that the image that we like to project on social media is not reality. On social media, everyone seems to be happy, content, successful, kind, loving, living the adventure. Everyone else reads their feeds and thinks, wow, I wish my life was like that. I can't tell them about my day that my boss yelled at me, I forgot my kid's birthday, I lost my temper at my wife again, and generally I just feel like a loser. So I'll just highlight a few of my better moments and then maybe slightly embellish them so that I look like everyone else. Now, of course, everyone else reads your feed and thinks and does the same thing you did, and on and on the cycle goes. There are two yous, two realities, the one we present and the reality. But this has been true since long before social media became a thing. People have always engaged in image management promoting and projecting an image that they want to be true more than what they actually know to be true. 
Because we want people to think that we are successful and confident and likable and charismatic and funny, the kind of person that people like to be around. And yet, no matter how hard we try, some people still don't like us. And you know the temptation. Get angry. Blame them. Find fault with all of those who find fault with us. And eventually, where does that anger get turned? Eventually, it has to get turned towards God. If God confronts us, we say, well, why wouldn't God want me? I don't know if I can believe in a God who, who judges people, who finds fault with people, who casts people into hell. Or perhaps you've heard or, or said this one. God doesn't seem to waste his time on me, so why should I waste my time on him? That was Cain's attitude. When God had regard for Abel's sacrifice but not his, rather than asking what he did wrong, how he might do better, what did he do? He blamed God. He, he blamed Abel. He, he blamed anyone but himself. Or what about Jonah? Remember at the end of the book of Jonah, that, that plant grows up. Jonah didn't plant it. He didn't water it, but he enjoyed its shade. But when that plant withered, he got angry. And God says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah says, you bet I, I deserve to be angry. This is where things lead. This is where things go when we try to live as if a reality existed that doesn't, when we present a false view of ourselves, when we try to, to present a, a reality that isn't true, and reality starts to push back against us when we do, and that's where we end up. We end up angry, and we rage against others. We rage against God. But if you're human, hopefully everybody in here is, you have probably fallen victim to this temptation and tried to present a polished image of yourself that doesn't exactly correspond to reality. The social media you. But there's another self, another us, another you that we rarely acknowledge. It's, it's the insecure self that we fear others discovering. It's the one that knows our weaknesses, the chinks in our armor, that knows all our fears and all of our doubts, our regrets. And our fear is that if people knew that us, that self, that they would just run from us. They would never like us, let alone love us. And they would not want to be seen with us and then comes that scariest of thoughts. What if God knew those things? How could he care about me? Like me? Love me? How could he be willing to claim me as his own? If you're human, hoping everyone here is, you've probably dealt with feeling unworthy. Unworthy of friends, unworthy of forgiveness, 
and unworthy of God's love and his friendship. If you're human, you've probably wondered how God could ever know you, care about you, and love you. And the question is, what are you going to do when you feel that way? Double down on curating a better image on social media? Or embrace your failures and seek God's grace? Admit your unworthiness and ask for forgiveness. That's the question our passage presses today as it looks at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the message is simple, but it's profound, and it's this. It's only when you admit that you have no claim on God that he gladly makes his claim on you. That's, that's the point. And that's what I hope to, to show you as we work our way through this well-known parable. Jesus begins by first describing the Pharisee. Pharisees were religious leaders. They were well respected. And he, this Pharisee, he comes to the temple to pray. He stands by himself. He, he doesn't see himself as a part of the crowd. He's different. He's unique. He's special. He may stand alone, but he certainly prays loud enough for everyone else to hear. And he thanks God that he's not like other men. He's not an extortioner. He's, he's not unjust. He's not adulterous. He praises the Lord that he's not like that tax collector over there standing off in the distance. He's the model of sacrifice. He, he fasts. He tithes. Basically, his prayer is, God, thank you that I'm so awesome. He's claiming to be the model of piety, of, of what others should aspire to be. Not only is he impressed with himself, but he assumes that God must be just as impressed. He acts like he's an open book, like he has nothing to hide. He even wants his private matters, like fasting and tithing, to be made public. But according to verse 9, he treats others with contempt, and we see that in the way he references others. I'm not like that guy over there. What is it that makes people treat others with contempt? What is it that leads people to make such a show of their credentials? Perhaps he believes it. Perhaps he thinks that he has nothing to hide, but that's doubtful. Because confidence doesn't lead people to treat others with contempt. Quite the opposite. Confidence leads to compassion. Contempt is the child of insecurity. It's, that's when we try to bring other people down, when we feel insecure and we want to make ourselves feel better. Contempt is the fruit of overcompensating. It's born of pride. And pride is not confidence. It's a false view of self. It's an overinflated view of self. Pride can result in either self-praise or self-loathing. It either believes you are better than everyone else or that you should be better than everyone else. And it's afraid to admit any weakness, any failure, or any need. Have you ever noticed how afraid people are to admit that they were wrong? 
When was the last time you heard a politician say, I've wrong, I was wrong, I, I changed my view. I've learned something, I've grown. The church isn't immune. I recently heard elders in a conservative reformed church say that they believed if they admitted failure to the congregation, it would undermine their authority. That's terrible. That's sin. But the temptation is understandable. We have this desire to project and to maintain a certain image but it's an illusion. It's not reality. It's meant to hide reality. It's meant to hide our shame and our guilt and our sense of being exposed and being naked. Sound familiar? Isn't that what Adam and Eve did with the fig leaves? They knew they were naked, they knew they were ashamed. But they didn't ask God to cover their shame, at least not at first. They thought, we, I, we can do this. So they sought to cover it themselves. They, they trusted in themselves, as verse 9 would say. And there they stood with their futile attempt to cover their own shame. The all-knowing eyes of God can't see through these leaves. Those fig leaves were wholly inadequate because fig leaves can't cover shame. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. There was no death, there was no blood, there was no sacrifice in those fig leaves. Their sin would not be covered until they surrendered and let God cover it. And this is where the Pharisee is at. He boasts and he brags, and these are his attempts to cover his own shame. They're about as helpful as fig leaves, because ultimately they're an attempt to hide his shame from the, from the all-knowing eyes of God. And it probably didn't start out as all-out hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is always slow and subtle. Maybe it begins with pursuing good things because they're good. But if you're not careful, if you stop engaging your heart, you become enticed by the praise of men and you confuse it for praise from God. And you start to confuse what is normal and think that it's deserved. And suddenly God's blessings aren't gifts, they're just what you deserve. And eventually, you care more about being known for doing what is right than you actually care about doing what is right. It's a trap and it's enslaving. This Pharisee won't surrender. He won't, he won't admit his fears and his doubts. He won't confess his need for grace. And it's against this Pharisee that Jesus describes the tax collector. This isn't the first tax collector in Luke. We've, we've seen them before. They are the most despised of society. Um, Jesus has already been questioned about his association with them. And in Matthew, Jesus will even use them as the emblem of, of disbelief and, and sin. They're commonly lumped together with prostitutes as the most despised of, of society. And this tax collector knows it. 
On the one hand, he comes to the temple. He, he wants to pray, but he stands far off like a social leper. There's no, there's no pretense. There's no image management here. He's crushed by his shame and his guilt and his regret. And he openly wonders how God could ever love him, ever have room for him. Years under the grip of sin, enslaved by it, he is, he is a shell of a man. And he wears his guilt like a garment. He's without hope. In an act of self-judgment, he can't even raise his eyes to heaven. He just looks down. But still he prays. Still he cries out to God. And the translation of his prayer in verse 13 is a bit clunky. He is asking for mercy, but he doesn't use the word typically uh, translated mercy. The word is better translated, make propitiation for me. And, and propitiation, it's a big word, but it's, it's about mercy, but it focuses more on the cost of mercy, the suffering of wrath by a substitute, the shedding of blood. His prayer might better be rendered something like this. God, take my wrath, bear my wrath, cover my shame, for I am a sinner. It's as if he's crying out, I can't cover my shame, I need you to do it. I can't convince you that I'm worthy, so why pretend? I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. You see, his problem is identical to the Pharisee, but his solution couldn't be more different. So which solution worked? Image management or crying out for mercy? Look at verse 14. The tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Essentially, quoting Proverbs 34, God exalts, uh, or, or God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus says, because this tax collector was willing to own and acknowledge his sin, he found forgiveness. But for the Pharisee comes the heavy verdict that there was no forgiveness for him. And it's because he didn't ask. He refused to truly acknowledge the need. Instead, he sought to convince God and everyone else that he was fine and he didn't need grace. In a sense, he got exactly what he asked for. <laughs> Nothing. I think we all struggle to really believe the Bible when it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We acknowledge it in some abstract sense but I think we struggle to put flesh on it and accept it in concrete terms. Because if we see two people in a church, one who is uh, a leader and he's pious, he's, he knows his theology, he has a good job and a well-ordered family, but doesn't ever really seem to apologize for anything. And we see someone who's always apologizing because he's always making a mess of things. We have a hard time believing that that pious guy, that leader, might be headed for hell, and that mess might be headed for heaven. I know that when I was first a pastor, 
I wanted elders who knew their stuff and seemed to have well-ordered life. But something I have come to appreciate is a man who can sit there with tears in his eyes and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's a hard lesson. And we don't really get it. The disciples sure didn't. Just as Jesus finished his speaking, people started bringing their children to him. Now, children weren't highly regarded. They, they didn't have anything to offer. They're a lot like this tax collector. And what did the disciples do? They rebuked the parents. Take these kids away. The master's busy. And Jesus' response is basically, did you just hear what I said about the tax collector? It's those who have nothing to offer that I welcome in. And those who think they belong that I send away. Why would you send these children away simply because they're needy and have nothing to offer? In fact, O oh disciples, if you don't become more like those children, there won't be a place for you either. That's the way into God's kingdom. By acknowledging you have no claim on it. That's where forgiveness is found in acknowledging your sin and the need for grace. It's humility. It's setting aside the social media you and acknowledging the real you. But it's hard. It's terrifying. Because deep down we're filled with guilt and shame, and regret. Deep down, we all know that we have no claim on God. We have no claim on heaven. Deep down, we're all like the Pharisee and the tax collector. But I have good news for Pharisees and tax collectors this morning. Because if you read this passage and you feel like the tax collector, or if you read this passage and you feel more like the Pharisee, if you're crushed by your shame, your hypocrisy, and you wonder, how could God ever love me? Then I have good news, because the invitation is the same for all. The Lord invites you to acknowledge your sin, to release your claim on him, so that he might make his claim on you by grace. He invites you to stop trying to cover your shame so that he might do it right. The Apostle Paul stated it this way, if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. The way to escape judgment is to acknowledge that we deserve it. That is the hardest lesson to learn. Because typically the one thing we need to do, we're unwilling to do. What's interesting is that the Apostle Paul made this statement in conjunction with the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is that weekly reminder that we can either try to cover our own shame or we can let him. It's one way or the other. We can either deny that we uh, deserve judgment or that we can acknowledge that we do deserve it and ask for mercy. It's a reminder that 
There's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That the only way to deal with our guilt and our shame is through the death of Jesus Christ in our place. It's a reminder that he bore our judgment so that we don't have to. That's what it proclaims. That's what the Lord's Supper makes visible for us today. And so it echoes this parable. And if you think you are worthy of praise both from man and God and that you don't need Jesus, then this table is not for you. You trust in yourself and you're on your own. But if you judge yourself to be a sinner and you acknowledge your guilt and your shame and you cry out for God's rescue, if you do those things, then you have a Savior. And you will leave here justified, saved, forgiven. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself, will be exalted. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive uh, this gift from our God this morning. Father, we thank you that you know us, the real us, and that you love us. That you know our sin and that you forgive our sin. Teach us to know our needs so that we might see that need met in you. Help us to surrender our pride so that it might no longer impede us. Help us to be humble, knowing that you exalt the humble. And teach us the true comfort of surrendering to you. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, through whom we have the propitiation for sins, the forgiveness of our transgressions. Amen.